Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Come closer, Clarice. Welcome to Syracast episode 18, recording live from a beautiful Toronto day. As always, I'm joined by Jay McIntaggart. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm great, how are you? I'm great, thank you. I thought I'd switch things up because Douglas has been absent for two weeks and we were were sorely missing him. So uh, last but certainly not least, how are you, sir? Uh, good. I wanted to do a jokey Irish accent, but it's still terrible. I was going to say, how are your holliers? I still don't even know what that means. <laughs> then but you are not a, uh, an trip official unsuccessful. Irishman. Please return no. to Ireland. I did gain a full stone, though, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. How many pounds is that? That's 14 pounds for uh, those that's, that do not know. I think it, it equals 14. 25 pints of Murphy's. I think that's 1.2 pounds a day. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that sounds like a lot of Guinness. I'm very jealous. Murphy's, thank you. Well, while you were gone, we were busy as fuck with everything that was happening. Yeah, so... how'd that go? What did I miss? <laughs> oh, so much. A lot. A the lot. Nexus 6, Too much. the Nexus 9, uh, all of the phones, basically, and a few tablets, uh, Lollipop, and uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it. Let's yeah, um let's let's talk let's talk wearables because that's going to be our our sort of focal topic today, and uh, we just went to Tom Emmerich, our friends West Conference. It's wearables, entertainment, sports. Uh, what was the th- what was T? Was there a T? Technology Toronto? West. Oh right, <laughs> technology, and uh, we heard a lot of fantastic speakers uh, talking about wearables in effusive ways and uh, douglas you wrote up an amazing piece on it what was your takeaway from west did you think that the wearable has finally come into its own uh well so this is a you know topic that we're we're unpacking in our our weekly tete-a-tete but i don't it seemed uh if i think if tom had tried to do this last year it would have been a much less eventful event and this year there was actually not only some interesting hardware to discuss and hardware opportunities um, and some launches, but then also like uh, companies really getting into the meat of trying to do interesting things with products. So taking it beyond just uh, gimmicky, you know, foot, uh, footstep trackers to actual useful biometrics or, you know, all sorts of different things like the, the bubble camera. Um, so it, it was it was wearables plus machine to machine plus maker stuff, but that whole that whole next generation of uh, pervasive tech and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, the the bubble cam I think has to me the most immediate application only because I'm a huge camera guy, 
uh, and because I would love to to use it for kind of 3D mapping of, of internal of indoor spaces, and I, I think that's a really interesting way to to show it. Uh, and if if you're not familiar, Bubble is a Toronto-based company that's putting out a camera that renders 360 degree scenes both in photo and video format in real time and that's due to four cameras on the cylindrical uh you know base that has that, that's shooting in in real time and uh it can shoot 1080p at 15 frames and 720p at 30 frames and you talked to the uh, ceo yeah sure. and he had a, a bunch of stuff to say so uh, yeah what, that's what some of the highlights there that's a really decent interview because he was also a panelist at uh, West, and uh, we talked about not only like the inspiration for the camera, which kind of um, came from a, a perspective similar to yours, right? Just capturing, um, like you know, photographers looking to capture moments in an interesting way. Um, you know, for me personally, like when I was um, trouncing around Ireland, uh, everything, every hill in Ireland is beautiful. There's a beautiful everything everywhere, um, and I spent the entire time uh, using the panorama mode. In, on my iPhone because the the views, the vistas were so large and compelling that I needed something to accurately capture the scope. And the only way to do that was to spin around in a circle. Uh, I think with something like the, the bubble camera, that idea of capturing reality beyond the square one by one or 16 by nine dimensions is really cool. And then to, to be able to either see that in real time or... Um, you know, move around within it and modify it. Like, you know, uh, Bubble was on the panel about uh, more about like moving into virtual space and using VR technology. And right now there's this big kind of arms race between the companies that are working to produce net new 3D content. Um, so Oculus type stuff. And then people like Bubble who are looking to record uh, what's happening and then transmit that and navigate like 2D digital content and it seems like uh right now navigating uh two-dimensional digital content in a 3d environment is easier to do or less time consuming than um building 3d environments from scratch even though we have the tools for that just simply because there's a lot of um there's a lot of human transition necessary for the the body to understand and conceptualize um, what's going on to them. So um, th wow, that, that's, that, he that's heavy. Yeah. So then like, and that's the kind of meaty stuff that they're talking about. So, you know, on the panel, they're like, you know, obviously from like a tourist perspective, like if, if you're, if you're going around with a bubble camera and you're just, it's just capturing everything. You don't even have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about looking through a lens anymore. Cause there's, there's four, but they were talking about, you know, in the construction industry or in tourism or in real estate kind of showrooming by just, snapping photos and then having someone be able to to walk in around an environment that they've captured um and that versus you know uh 3d filmmakers or game makers trying to figure out this new interaction uh language so the human body can understand how to move in a in a fictional 3d space while they're still existing in the meat space so things like you know, um, so you're talking more about like augmented reality versus virtual reality. Well, so th in the in the interview, we talk about like how AR and VR are kind of intersecting because they're um, they're just trying to take digital assets from anywhere, whether that's using pre-existing captured assets and then enhancing them in certain ways, or um, building net new 3D environments, but then using some real elements in there. So it, there almost seems to be this 
this uh, new term that just needs to encapsulate digital reality, like whatever source it comes from. And it seems like, you know, for the past 10 years in mobile, there's been this huge promise of location-based services and augmented reality and things like that. And I think with um, these wearable headsets, that, that can actually come true because there's actually some really useful, there are, there are now, there's now, now the technology to enable it and use cases that it's compelling for. So there, there's a lot there to kind of see and, and not only like just see and think about, but also it's happening now. Like those things, like you can play Portal 2 on an Oculus Rift and it's amazing. You can, yeah. you can take, you can go record, like Daniel and I were filming it real time, um, just us live at West and seeing ourselves on a Samsung tablet and they can send that right to you know, uh, a Sony, or no, so a Samsung Gear VR headset. Like, you can do that right now. Right, and and I think we should distinguish between seeing ourselves on a Samsung tablet. It's not a static image. You can actually scroll through all four cameras stitched together in real time on the tablet while the bubble is filming. So as long as you have a Wi-Fi connection, the bubble can be in another room, and I could be viewing what you what the bubble is seeing in three dimensions on a on a 2D Samsung tablet or you know it's going to be iOS compatible but right now it's Android only and you can actually see that stitched together and they've done an amazing job making it seem like it is a single image that you're scrolling through uh, it's it's some incredible technology i'm yeah. really impressed with these guys and they said like the the hardware component was the easiest thing to do and the only reason why they made the hardware is cuz they couldn't find a company that had released something that was consumer friendly that they're really a software company and that the the image stitching is the really difficult stuff and that they've been working yeah. with um google because obviously google with uh street view and like the the google vans that drive around um have have a vested interest in a really easy useful way to um capture real life in, in two dimensions and then replicate that so you know, it's it's you know we hounded them to get one in house. They're shipping uh, to their Kickstarter backers next week, and we're gonna get one. Fingers crossed. Um, and I think actually they shouldn't have called it bubble. They should have called it shenanigans because with that camera, like the the amount of shenanigans that you can get into filming things is uh, pretty yeah. Ridiculous. They they were at CES this year in January. They didn't have a booth. They were just kind of skulking around the hallways, like you know showing off their product but one of the things they did at CES was they captured a lot of footage from the show floor and like different like CES footage and yeah it was it was awesome and like kind of crazy to see like you said the shenanigans that were were that were bubbled yeah, yeah. and it's it, it has a tripod or a monopod adapter on the bottom so you can actually hold it using a monopod right above a crowd and get this 360 mm. degree vista and it was pretty impressive and what what you said about it being a software company Doug was really interesting is that this reminds me of another former or recent Google uh, acquisition, and it's or it's rather a, a Nest acquisition that's by way of Google, um, and that's uh, that's Dropcam, and Dropcam was acquired by by Nest, which was acquired by Google earlier this year, and uh, it's a fascinating company because they make security cameras that upload your security footage to the cloud, but more than that, they're a software company. That are that's trying to distinguish objects in real time and make it really easy to tell the difference between an intruder and a dog, right? And and I and I wrote an article about this and people were pretty skeptical. They're like, well, 
it's it shouldn't be really difficult for for a computer to tell the difference between somebody who should be in your house and somebody somebody who shouldn't but it is really difficult to tell that yes because uh, a, a software algorithm understanding intention and you know so like part of you know uh, bubble is getting to the point where they're releasing apis where they're like you know this is the software to do the stitching take this and create useful applications for it like day one people are going to use this to uh record weddings record their travels um but you know they they actually talked about one of their first use cases that they had in mind was as a baby monitor and i was thinking that when when yeah when you were saying it could be in a different room yeah so that you could kind of you could like pan around like it was like one and I, and I was like, that's like the most epic baby monitor ever. Yeah, so, you know, that idea of recognizing, you know, is my baby crying because babies cry a lot or something going wrong? Or because wrong? the window's open. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, or, you know, is there an intruder dog? Or <laughs> so, what the hell are you letting a, 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 an intruder dog into your baby's room for? You're a terrible parent. Terrible fake parent. Terrible fake parent. Yeah. Uh, not, like, <laughs> I was going to be like, your own dog is fine, just not intruder dogs. But let's... Yeah. Let's not go further. Yeah, but so that's that. That's that next level of you know we're we're starting to get actual new physical hardware that can do interesting things and connecting that to what's going on right now is is super. It's 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 where all the sexiness is. Um, just just you know the about like I would say that even though West was about kind of uh, entertainment and sports, it was much more sports focused simply because. I think the stage two health and fitness stuff that's going on is getting way more interesting um, because they're actually starting to get um, either better sensors or understanding how to, to get that data together or just even either they're starting to learn from the data they've already been receiving. Um, yeah, and I mean, that's both. Obviously, better quality sensors are commoditizing and you know, startups, hardware startups that don't have a lot of capital can afford better quality sensors. But at the same time, people are, this is the second generation of uh, sort of algorithmic development in the sense that the companies like, like uh, Nest or Dropcam or Bubble or, you know, whatever hardware startup you can talk about, they're coming, a lot of the, the engineers are coming from bigger companies that you know started at Google and have kind of branched off and become their own thing, and they have a huge amount of experience with large resources, so they know where to start. And the products are there for being built with a bit more professionalism than, than what they would have been five years ago, which you know they would have been just hacks, uh, maker stuff. And yeah. they're also attracting capital much more quickly. So you have companies that are founded by former Googlers that are then being bought out by Google and the circle continues. And it's just like one of those things where they're creating great products and uh, they're collaborating with big companies and they're eventually being bought out. So uh, another company that I spoke to that's a, a Toronto startup is called Subpack. And uh, it's basically a subwoofer for DJs that they wear on their back when they're creating music. And uh, it, it blew my mind. I've, I tried it and it's so accurate and it allows people to create you know, DJ uh, or electronic music at home, you wearing headphones, uh, plus this backpack thing, and you can get really deep. And these guys can also wear it while they're performing on stage, because obviously the subwoofers are faint are pa facing the the crowd, so the DJs themselves aren't feeling the same bass that the crowd is. 
and uh, this allows them to kind of get into the party at the same at the same level. Uh, and it's but these guys are also doing some amazing things, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about Subpack more uh, down the road. But let's uh, let's let's shift a little and talk about something that's very consumer focused: Android Wear. Jane, you uh, you've been writing a ton about the mm. updates coming to Android yeah. Wear. Uh, that was made official today, even though we wrote about it a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, but they, they're now supporting GPS, and uh, what else? Uh, GPS, offline, or uh, offline music playback. So the problem with all these Android Wear devices, most of them, unless you want to talk about Samsung's Gear, Gear is it the Gear S? Um, they're, all, they're all companion devices, so they don't have their own, they don't have their own 3G radio. So the problem is, is they, you know, the GP, they don't have GPS radios. Um, so you need your phone, and that's kind of a problem when people want to wear them during during workouts and stuff. They have to bring their phone with them if they want to if they want to stream music, whatever. Um, they got to bring their phone with them. So they have support for Bluetooth headsets, and then support for music playback, which means that you can now wear a Bluetooth headset and then stream music directly from your watch. So you don't have to bring your phone with you. Mm-hmm. And then if your watch happens to have GPS support, you can track your run too. So yeah, and it's, I guess they're becoming more more independent devices, which is super cool. But it's also eventually, I mean, right now it's only a couple of apps, MyTracks and GolfShot, that support the GPS yeah. stuff. But eventually we're going to see RunKeeper and a bunch of right. these other apps allow standalone fitness Yeah, and tracking. one thing people shouldn't be confused about is that the only watch right now that has GPS a GPS radio is the Sony SmartWatch 3, which isn't even out yet. So it's not like all of a sudden that, that Moto 360 you bought or the G-Watch that you bought... Like early adopters, they're gonna are, are not gonna see the benefit for this when it comes to the GPS tracking, um, because it just can't do it. So this yeah. is definitely a case of it shows how early we still are in in the Android Wear thing, where you still have devices that are coming out that have, I guess, additional hardware that's gonna be that's gonna be incorporated into Android Wear that early devices don't have. Yeah, that's so that's interesting for two reasons because at at West um, there was kind of two things that came up along that line. First was um, uh, Adidas's uh, VP of Innovations for Wearable Sports um, kind of went through the company's whole line of of uh, the MyCoach products, so all these different wearables, yeah. and just talk about you know how that they they're basically for people for fitness. Their people have different goals, different performance levels, different uh, you know levels of interest and involvement. So they have a whole line of different types of wearables for those people. For each one, he completely emphasized that while they have this kind of like uh, a mobile hub to capture all the data, that none of them needed a phone to operate. So this idea that wearables are moving away from um, companion being a requirement and then more of a a net benefit. And then um, second, shit, what was the, you were just talking about the companion thing. There was something else. And Um, music? No, not the music. 3G. Oh no! Or no, the hardware features. So during the uh, one of the biometrics panels, they were talking about this uh, idea of manufactured obsolescence. So building, mm. you know, essentially building a product that will be out of date in a year or eighteen months. And you know, you guys were talking about this. Uh, I think last week or the week before with the the iPad conversation. Like, are yeah. you are you just selling something so that you can buy a new one? And, and a lot of them were pretty we're taking a very hard stance. you know, we're actually building hardware capabilities into the devices now that we're not actually using that will become enabled with software updates because we want someone to keep using this. And I think that's, um, that's really important because, you know, the last thing that we need is a disposable wearable industry 
that needs to be replaced at a cadence more quicker than the smartphone when honestly we should be getting five years of use out of a out of a smartphone now when we when we get like two okay um, so two, yeah. two things there uh pebble is a good example of a company that created what at the beginning seemed like pretty bad hardware i mean it's not exactly a powerful smartwatch but they had all these latent features that were not enabled at launch because they were either they weren't supported by the smartphones at the time mm -hmm. or they would have affected battery life too negatively and since then they they they've uh launched uh bluetooth low energy support which mm -hmm. allows pervasive connection to smartphones without making the batteries de deplete uh, yeah so you don't have to be in the step, step counter app yet to count your steps now you can actually just have that on and tracking all day which could make pebble useful well that was that was the second thing is that they had the, an accelerometer inside the pebble that was not being used or at least it wasn't being used for pervasive step tracking and now it can so you have apps like jawbone which and that, and that's another company like there's so much stuff here jawbone is yet another company that's branching out of just making hardware yeah. because after nike's you know after nike shit itself with uh, the fuel band and they realized that they weren't making any money they've become a platform jawbone has since become a platform for developers to to sort of uh, accumulate health data and that sits on top of something like apple health and google fit and then there's the company like fitbit that's launching the surge that's not going to yeah. be compatible with apple health because they don't want to give all their data to apple because that's that's the only valuable part to them and that sees apple then say okay well you don't want to cooperate with us we're not going to sell your stuff yeah well and it's not so, it's, I, I don't even think it's, it's so the I was talking to, I ran into a lot of friends at West because, you know, West had some great attendees. It was like a really packed event, very varied. Um, wearables right now is where mobile was in 2006. There's a lot of new ideas, a lot of small companies, a lot, a huge degree of variation in, in the product and implementation and just ideas of what this stuff's going to be. If it plays out anything similar to how the mobile environment went, most of these companies will either be uh, acquired or dead in the next three years. And a, a company like Apple or whatever company establishes the common platform is going to win out. Because when you look at Adidas having a line of devices where you're like, okay, great, cool. I like everything you're doing, Adidas. I like the soccer ball that tells me where to kick. I like the wrist runner and things like this. But um, I'm, I, my bigger fear than hardware obsolescence is data obsolescence. Do I want to buy into uh, one hardware manufacturer's platform and be like Team Fitbit for all my this or Team Adidas for all my uh, sports improvements? Or do I want to buy into a company like Apple or Google, which becomes the nexus or the hub of all that information so I can trust that I can have a Jawbone plus, um, you know, uh, an Apple Watch plus this and that, and that the data will aggregate in a really important way. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, the thing is that you know we're talking a lot about Apple Watch in the months leading up to it, but at the at the iPad event, they announced that Watch Kit, which is the developer kit that will allow developers to create apps for the watch, will be available sometime in November. And that's really interesting to me because they're releasing it at least three months, if not four months, before the, the watch comes to market itself, which is exactly what Android should have done with Android Wear. 
Mm. There were a few apps with Wear, but it, they weren't impressive. Yeah, but in, with Android Wear, you have a situation where uh, Google's actually asking developers to not hack it <laughs> right now. Like, they're, they're trying to hold off rather than yeah. Apple. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not talking about the, the interface. I'm talking about apps that are on the device itself. Like, Apple would never... Well, Apple doesn't allow other companies to develop hardware, so that's not really the same. But uh, the watch kit is, is going to be interesting because they're going to allow sort of a similar setup to Android Wear. There's going to be standalone apps, and then there are apps that are going to be reliant on the phone. So iPhone will... The Apple Watch will need the iPhone to work, period. The first generation one, at least. Mm -hmm. But uh, we don't know about subsequent versions. Okay. And um, the one thing that you were talking about earlier with planned obsolescence, when Apple launches a $10,000, you know, 18-karat gold Apple Watch, that is not feasible for planned obsolescence. I mean, nobody's going to replace that watch in a couple of years. And what I've heard and what John Gruber of Daring Fireball has suggested, and I think that's correct, is that they're actually going to have a sort of modular computer chip inside of it that will allow people to replace it without actually replacing the body itself. So you will have second and third generation Apple Watches, but you'll also have first generation watches with second generation chips inside of it. So you'll get a new battery and a new computer or a new CPU at the same time as you get, say, a... uh, like you go in and you get it serviced every year or every two years. And yeah. I think that's very interesting. I mean, I've heard that too, but, but like step away from Apple as a hardware company or Google as a hardware company with, with this situation and forget about WatchKit and think more about HealthKit. If, if Adidas doesn't give me the ability to port my personal fitness data outside of their system, I'm unless Adidas makes the best hardware in the world consistently and can f- provide a full portfolio of, yeah. of wearable stuff, I'm not, I'm not going in. I'm I gonna, totally agree. I'm going to trust totally in agree. Apple and I'm going to trust in Google because more likely or not, they're going to be, um, they're, they're around. I'm already connected in a thousand different ways. So, yeah, and I think that that's the big, I mean, I know that Daniel mentioned, you know, when, when Fitbit were like, oh, well, we're not going to integrate with, with Apple, we're with HealthKit. And then Apple, you know, was rumors they were going to take Fitbit out of their stores. I think that's that's not that's not a spite thing. That's a we don't want Douglas to come into the store and say, "Oh, I'm going to buy this this Fitbit," and then have him go home and be like, "What do you mean it doesn't work with like your your health application? Like right. I bought it at your store." Exactly, a hundred percent. So they can't like they just can't sell it anymore. Yeah, but, like, but you know what's going to happen? People are going to be like, "Oh, Fitbit doesn't work with uh, health for my iPhone." guess i'm not gonna buy like that's what i mean you know, that's what i mean so it's it's like we it's saw this happen with we saw this happen in mobile with like um uh, carrier stores app stores um like every different type of service uh third-party app that then you know apple and google replaced at the os level that just disappeared because there are platform benefits um you know music stores before before streaming became big that were replaced by iTunes like there's just this gravity towards established platforms that connect with a variety of things like Fitbit's never going to convince everyone to live in their ecosystem because their ecosystem can only do one thing and Apple already and Apple and Google already do so many other things and the, you know eventually they're they're just going to be a really great boutique hardware manufacturer that plugs into Apple and Google or they're going to die mm. because that's what happened to every other, like that's what happened to every other mobile OS or 
uh, hardware manufacturer that had their own particular OS when iOS yeah. and Android destroyed them. Like this is yeah. we're we're no, in the beginning of that that new age of tech, and it's going to play out pretty much the same with maybe different winners and losers, but like that inevitability of um, that wild west state where everyone's launching companies and building cool new things and then a consolidation towards a few a measured services. Yeah. Like, so, you know, there's a lot of optimism in that room at West, but you know, they're all going to be, the smart ones are going to sell their company <laughs> to someone bigger and make and profit from it. And the other ones are going to like try and go it alone and then and die. Just yeah. die. Okay. We had the same conversation at, at Google IO when it came to, to Pebble mm-hmm. with Android, when we went Android where was, like they when they did all the Android Wear demos and stuff, like it was one of those things where Pebble was king for like like what a year, and then it was just like everyone, and, and then it, now it's like basically everyone's like, well, they gotta go Android Wear because where else are they gonna go? Well, no, that's not true. I mean, Pebble still has certain hardware advantages, battery li- being the primary one, and sunlight viewability. But again, being you're gonna have one. that same problem of like, well, does it work with all my apps? Like, is, is that an Android Watch? Oh, okay. Is it the Apple? Oh, okay. it's neither. Well, and it's gonna be like the symbian thing no uh, yeah sort of but i guess the the other the other part of it is that pebble already has some amazing partners i mean they have they have runkeeper they have jawbone they have uh they have evernote like they have these platformers that that uh also publish to ios and android but they don't mind creating an app specifically for pebble because the api is so powerful Unless and, no, unless those partners have a vested interest in the success of that platform, yeah. they are not gonna stand with them when things get lean. Those are always the partners. Like BlackBerry had the same partners. Like think of all the think of all the hardware. Phone. Think of all the hardware manufacturers that were uh, releasing great MP3 players before the iPod came in with iTunes Music Store and just destroyed them. Like you know. It, well, that's different. No, I can't I mean, get my I, music. I agree with you. I also think that Pebble has, uh, um, they have a market advantage for one thing because they're, uh, they're sort of, they appeal to the maker audience, you know, the, the same kind of, they're early, like the, the early adopters who bought Pebble still love them because they're compact and they last for five days. And right now, I mean, right now Pebble has an advantage in the sense that it's one of the only smartwatch platforms that works very well on iOS. Once Apple Watch debuts, that advantage is completely gone. So yeah. you're probably right. In a year from now, Pebble will be a different company, but they may also go the route of Jawbone in creating platform and services rather than hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? But I also think that the point that you were making about uh, you know those old legacy companies that were eaten by Android and, and iOS, uh, Garmin and, and uh, TomTom are, are two examples. Garmin now tries their best to create like very bespoke fitness bands that uh, are not very good, but they're but they're, they're they appeal to a certain demographic, like those long distance triathletes. And TomTom is now a data provider. They don't really sell their own products anymore. They sell their data. So you know yeah. those two companies have have bifurcated and, and, and gone in two different directions. Uh, but it it just speaks to the fact that there are going to be disruptors in this business. And uh, Apple and Google are either going to create their own solutions or buy them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, I think that it was a good example of, of something like Apple had an opportunity with Maps and they lost that and they, they failed miserably and nobody will ever trust Apple Maps. As good as they make it, they will never trust Apple Maps. Um, uh, Google, on the other hand, 
is the most trustworthy app or uh, maps company in the world now. And I think that that is just the way it is. And now they're just going to continue building on that. So that's an example, not like that's just one example of a company like uh, Garmin, where they had all these in-car dashboards. And now, you know, you don't see that anymore. Yeah, no, and you're right. So as I was saying, you know, I think in in the broad strokes, the wearable space will play out in a similar way. I'm not saying the winners are going to be the same, but one way for there to be different winners is for the incumbents or the the massive forces to really screw up and blow trust, giving space to a new uh, a new a new challenger to come in and 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 do something much in the, like you know like Apple. In much in the way that Apple did. No one was doing anything with smartphones at a consumer level that was really compelling and relevant, giving Apple the, the chance to to release the iPhone, like the same with the iPod. But going back to um, Garmin, uh, I don't know. I don't think that you heard this part of the conversation because you were prepping for your panel after, but they actually mentioned uh, Garmin, uh, yeah, in the session before yours because they were talking about, you know, Garmin is this... Um, they do like fitness products and things like that. And uh, I can't remember who said it, but they're like the dirty little secret of the biometrics industry or the fitness industry is that Garmin is trying to hold on to this data. And then that's why there are like five or 10 different services that exist right now for you to strip your user data out of those services to cross port them because people already recognize that they don't, especially when it comes to your personal health and fitness. We're not talking about emails. We're not talking about photos. We're talking about, like, your health and well-being. Data that only works when it's viewed with a wide, fat lens. Um, it's much more important to to have personal control of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I, I again, I, I think that, that will come back to, you know, the Adidas's of the world creating great experiences outside of, outside of merely just another fitness band. They won't be able to do fitness bands better than Apple and Google because those are the fitness band itself is becoming uh, relatively obsolete. They're going to integrate uh, they're going to integrate sensors into their shoes. So they're going to buy, you know, hardware startups like Plantiga that are integrating sensors into clothing and they're mm-hmm. going to have to they're going to have to iterate as quickly as Android or as Google and Apple have in the smartwatch space. But there's no chance in hell that any company is going to disrupt the wearable space in in, in terms of like standalone wearables, yeah. uh, because Google and Apple have that down. So these companies are going to have to leverage their their strengths, and in this case, it's fashion and clothing, and those have not been really utilized to their to the to the extent that they could be. Um, and and I think that's what we saw at West was you know coming back around like. You know, wearable wearables integrated into clothing that is going to be enormous, and big com- big name companies like Reebok and Nike and, and and Adidas have no choice; they have to move there. Yeah, because in, more so than even smartphones, it, the benefit of wearables come from their capacity to communicate with other systems, like right, and and not only like digital internet systems, but like physical systems. So, you know, unless you know Pebble might survive by creating a piece of hardware that tries to do something that no other does. If, if they're just like, we're the smartwatch that can last 30 days without a charge. Like if, if they've already reached that 
Motorola level of here's our identity, we're going after these benefits and we can build it really well, they can probably survive on that. But they're never going to become like the third platform of like software by just being wearables alone. It's just not going to happen. Do they want to be? I mean, like, I don't think any company wants to be the Windows phone of wearables because, you know, that's just... That's just sad. No, but but and if you you but you can't only be wearables to be to be that is what I'm saying. Like right. beca- because they don't want to do all the other things, the companies that do do all those that do do all those other things win. Just because because you want you want your music service connected to your wearable that tracks like you these things have to talk to each other. And I think you know aside from the wearables part, um, one of the interesting things coming out of West is like this is the beginning of pervasive computing. This is the idea like the Intel futurist that spoke at the end of the conference was mm-hmm. talking only about technologies working together, communicating in complex ways. When when your cars start gossiping to each other to let you know that hey, my driver's a bad driver, so your car's going to need to brake five meters earlier when he hits his red light because he hits his red light late. You know, these systems not only being, um, I was talking to Tom about this right at the end, uh, it's not smart watches, it's not smart this, it's, it's awareness. They're, they're awake now. They're turning on and they're transmitting information. And then stage two is having that information happen in a conversation that's useful and valuable. Right. Uh, okay, so we're, <laughs> that was an amazing, I loved that conversation. I could talk about this for hours but I, I could think, listen to it for hours. Oh, I'm so, yeah, and we've, we've been basically like blocking you out. I'm sorry, Jane. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's okay, because you guys um, you guys were at the conference and I was holding down the fort. Well, yeah, while you, were. you were holding well, down the fort that, with some One CRTC thing that, stuff. I, that I probably know a little bit more about than you guys do is uh, the Microsoft smartwatch, that, the smart band that they've got going on. Um, because Oh, wait, I Microsoft talked... is releasing a smart band? What? <laughs> yeah. Um, I talked to a source that I won't name um, earlier this summer about the Microsoft smartwatch, and this person gave uh, gave me information about the device that, that no one else had. And, and one of the most interesting pieces of information that I got was that this is going to be cross-plat- cross-platform compatible. Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting that Microsoft is going down the route of of not... I don't know of of not making the Windows Phone smartwatches like from the outset. Not making the same mistakes that they made previously. Yeah, but also not making the same mistakes that other people are making, like Samsung, which is like, oh, it only works with the Gear phones. Sorry, or the Galaxy phones. Sorry about that. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Microsoft is finally understanding that hard, and they just came out with their. Uh, as we're talking, I think they just came out with their their financials, and uh, it looks mm. like. The Windows phone, Windows phones are down, surfaces are up, and we'll get to that in a second. But I, I think that they have no choice. Like they're focusing on Android now. Uh, their developers are building great Android and iOS apps. They have to. They have no choice. Yeah, but I, I also think that it's, um, from what I've heard, they have some interesting, some interesting ideas in terms of design. Um, 
and I'm excited. I don't know. I, I think that I think that if Microsoft manages to do what I hear that they're gonna do, I'm gonna be really impressed. But then I don't. I know not to get my hopes up when it comes to Microsoft. Because <laughs> that's what I did with the Surface, and that was sad. Well, do you think yeah. it's interesting that now that Microsoft has had to become a hardware manufacturer to get to to drum up interest in its services because its hardware partners either, are either not fully committed or really bad at creating hardware to get people interested in the services? Yeah, I, I guess the you know they just need to make sure that their brand is not perceived as a failed brand in one sense like you know when they when they talk about oh well microsoft's a failed hardware brand but they're a struggling software brand you know i think uh they're doing okay with lumia but uh you know they're still very much making their, their money from services too. yeah i yeah. wouldn't say that microsoft's a failed the 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 only hardware failure that microsoft has to its name is the zune and that was such a quick blip that don't people don't even like a kid today wouldn't even be like, oh yeah, the Zune. Like the only mm. things that people know for Microsoft hardware are the Surface, which has done relatively okay with its market, um, to, much to the chagrin of some of the people on this podcast, maybe. And the Xbox, which a whole generation of people for the past ten years. Oh yeah. So as a hardware company, Microsoft has done pretty well, but it doesn't drive their business in the way that their software does. So. No, absolutely, and I mean, I'm looking at the financials right now. Uh, it's it's interesting because devices and consumer uh, grew just o- just under fifty percent to ten point seven ten point sorry nearly eleven billion dollars, uh, but uh, it looks like Surface is is just lingering under a billion in revenue. So uh, the Surface Three did better, um, and in their Q three twenty fourteen did about twenty five percent better overall than their twenty thirteen. So. Certainly, things are improving there, but uh, I wouldn't say that uh, they're successful in the devices side of things. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, James James made a really good point though, because you know, as a, I think Microsoft is not making the mistakes of Samsung because Microsoft is smart enough to understand that the services that it profits from, like Office three sixty five and stuff like that, are better off being not tied to an OS but being as accessible as possible because it just they want they want lock into their services that generate revenue more so than their OS. In the Windows yeah. 95 97 days, the OS was the service that you were locked into like that you paid for because all that stuff was bundled. Yeah, but now they're more interested in giving people on whatever device they happen to be using like getting those people to use Bing as their search. Mm-hmm. And then we saw that with the um, the Microsoft Torque and we wrote about it this week, but it's like a, it's an Android Wear app. That is kind of replaced like, and kind of it's supposed to eliminate the OK Google thing. So you just twist your wrist and you and you ask it questions. But it uses Bing search, and that's all they want. They don't care what you're using. They mm-hmm. just want you to use Bing. Well, Bing is. I think they understand that nobody actually uses Bing to search. Yeah, but so they Bing, need to like sneak it in there. It's like putting the broccoli in the mashed potato. Right. It's it's basically a data provider. It's 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 Wikipedia. It's uh, Wolfram Alpha. Mm-hmm. It's just another source of uh, semantic data that people can take uh, information from. So instead of, you know, when, when you ask your wrist, you know, okay, Google or okay, Torque or whatever the, the thing oh, is. Cortana. Or, or Cortana. It's like they, uh, Microsoft doesn't care that, that you don't know that Bing is the, is the data source. They just want you to, to ask it more questions so that they can serve you up more ads. Um, mm. 
or you know sell its data to more partners and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, so Microsoft sold 9.7 million Lumias uh, for 2.6 billion dollars in revenue, which uh, is not not great, but it's, uh, it's not, not bad. bad. Uh, this sorry, 9.3 9.3 million Lumias. So we don't know the breakdown there. But, Pouring uh, it out it's for a... Nokia. Aww. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. So now, what do you guys think about the Microsoft's Garage initiative then? I think it's I think it's cool. I think there's a lot of smart people who work at Microsoft. I think that the company culture. Um, I don't know. There's been a, quite a few editorials about the cult, company culture at Microsoft and and how competitive you can be and how how you can sometimes feel boxed in and and your performance. You you can kind of feel like you're competing with other people in your department as opposed to really working together as a team. Mm-hmm. And I think that initiatives like Garage can really help people to express themselves and to and to really uh, like Microsoft hires smart people. Like there's there isn't you know Microsoft doesn't hire stupid people. So I think that it's yeah. Anytime you give smart people the the space to be creative, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I agree. And th- a lot of a lot of the um, yeah. as know, as best- long as as long as women are karmically smart enough to not ask for her raises, right? Jesus. Oh my Man. god! Well, poor, he, he's poor. trying to he's trying to make right by uh, by his female employees now. I, I guess he yeah. has no choice. But now uh, that he put his entire leg in his mouth and chomped down, yeah, there's yeah. no putting that toothpaste back in the tube. It's out. No, yeah. he, he he messed up. Speaking Every... of toothpaste back in the tube, uh oh, this Uh-oh. is the worst segue. Uh, Jane also wrote this week about. Uh... I thought you were gonna say Jane had onions for lunch because no. I was like, I did. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I just, I had pizza from two different pizza places today for lunch. You did. Um, you, Jane also wrote uh, like a really good in-depth profile about uh, why Bell is trying to squeeze toothpaste oh. in the eye of Rogers and how the CRTC is trying to get everything back in the tube. So I don't know if we want to transition to that. Yeah. Um, sure, why not? Let's, I mean, we didn't talk a lot about the, the wholesale wireless uh, hearings when they were going on, largely because that was iPhone and Samsung and everything review season and I, I just didn't have time. So Jane and I tried to touch on it in the podcast the last couple of weeks. Uh, but the CRTC appears to be fielding a lot of complaints They're busy. and a lot of They're questions. As busy as we are. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty busy. And this week was a complaint by Bell about Roger's exclusive access yeah. of games it's it's Game Center uh, plus, which is the custom angles and stuff that they're providing for their uh, hockey Ref, referee cam, ref cam, mm, and ref cam uh, you and know helmet cam and goalie cam and whatever. all that stuff. Don Cherry so, tie cam. Oh my god, be amazing. Strong that, so but just good. like just like Don Cherry like wardrobe camera, just like oh gross. No, it's not like, not of him getting changed, oh, but just like just saggy the balls cam. Jane, lit. didn't we have a really great joke for this? Like uh, digital content, like uh, oh. what's what's yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. What, what's okay. what's so the we'll, horse we'll, we'll armor for it. this? <laughs> we'll get to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was good though because we made a mental note and we were like, we should make that joke again on the podcast, but better and like more refined. And now and we've now we've just killed it by <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> Don Cherry Tail. Uh, the people who can't see this podcast are just going to be like, what the hell just happened? Should uh, both listen and watch. 
Okay, so quick quick summary. Game Center Live is an NHL product that Rogers bought the rights to in Canada that sells for $200, gives you access to every NHL game except for the ones that aren't blacked out. Rogers customers get access to it. Rogers cable and internet access customers get access to it for free for the rest of the season with supported plans. So do Share Plus uh, wireless customers. But normally it's $200 a year and, ro- and, and anybody can buy it, not just Rogers subscribers. Yeah. Uh, but anybody has access to it in Canada. What Rogers is giving exclusive access to in Canada is something called Game Plus, and those are the ref cam and, and helmet cam and all that the, that cool stuff. And and they're arguing that they can do that because it's internet only. It's not broadcast content. It's never going to go up on the television. It's internet, wireless, tablet, smartphone only. And that is how they got around the exclusion um agreement from yeah. the CRTC that prohibits exclusive content from broadcasted content. So, for example, TELUS complained to the CRTC a few years ago about Bell not allowing uh, TELUS customers access to N- NFL broadcasts through mobile because mm-hmm. the NFL broadcasts were being made exclusively uh, to Bell TV customers uh, on mobile because uh, you know uh, Bell Media has the rights to the NFL. So this is kind of yeah. hypocritical, but they... Yeah. Also, Raptors that Bell games don't have. Yeah, back, Raptors. Back. Well, that that's because Raptors are on TSN, right? So yeah, this has been a long history of of you know the reason why I'm on Bell for uh, or was on Bell for my satellite dish was because they were the only way I could get um, NBA TV Canada, which would show 30 Raptors games. So there's a long history of these companies going back and forth at each other by denying other customers essential sports services right but i mean the fact that rogers is not even offering this as a pre- as premium content to but to bell and telus subscribers is right in my and opinion, that's, a, bullshit. that's what we were that's what we were talking about because we were saying that rogers is arguing that this is not traditional tv programming um it's not like they and they define conventional tv programming as like the exact same program going to a mass audience who all see the same content presented in the same way and I don't know. I feel like Doug and I were talking about this, and we were like, if I'm ponying up $200 so that I can watch hockey, I would assume that everything I've heard about Roger's hockey deal, and that includes those additional angles, is included in that fee. I would assume that I get access yes. to that. Because I'm paying for the experience. I'm not paying that for Rogers the screen. That Roger's package. Yeah, I'm not like, paying. Like, Roger's has paid $5 billion to package an NHL experience however they see fit, and now they're telling me that, oh, I can only have, I can have most of that, but not all of it. But and the, then that's like saying that some people can't watch like Hockey Night in Canada because that's not like traditional hockey game. That's like commentary. No, no, no. That's that's not it at all. They're they're marketing Game Plus as fragments of content. It's basically the same as YouTube or Netflix saying that uh, you know we're not giving the other broadcasters rights to the previews of our of our. Yeah, no, I, I get that, but I think that it's it's hypocritical because some of those camera angles are used in the TV broadcast. People well, aren't. People don't not, want not to pay for camera angles. They want to pay for access to a sporting event. And when they're paying two hundred dollars for access, they should get access. And it doesn't it's a matter what screen solution though. But it's no, not the pri- it's not primary. It's secondary. There's no difference between any screen in the household anymore in terms of yeah. It's it's yeah. yeah. The expectation there there are no con there's no content anymore that is built solely for or it can be contained by one medium. That's not the point, though. The point is that uh, even that's though the you point can... That's to exactly make. the point. 
No, I understand that. But the point is that this is not broadcast. I'm just talking. I'm, I'm not. I'm just playing the devil's advocate on behalf of the CRTC here. They are saying that their OTT exclusion agreements are are there for a reason because the exclusivity that Bell is complaining about is uh, does not apply to this specific content. The CRTC would be forced to change their exclusion agreements in order to put OTT uh, or over the top fragment content as a part of its exclusivity prohibit uh, pro prohibitions and that is up to the crtc yeah so right? that's also the real problem because the exclusion thing clauses that you're talking about are in like they relate to like broadcast television correct which is archaic in the sense that like yeah netflix it doesn't cover netflix that's not broadcast television but the Nef like, netflix was arguing the same thing that they're not beholden to the 35 percent cancon um, you know, laws under the CRTC because they're an over-the-top broadcaster and they don't broadcast anything on, on television. Right. Yeah, so but the answer is to just yeah, but take solely... all the CRTC's documents, just burn them all, and just, like, no, we, start I, fresh. Yeah, we have to start with a 21st century document that recognizes yeah. that there is a difference between what Netflix does as a digital service and then what Rogers is and then what they try to provide through packages like Game Center. But that's the whole thing, is that Rogers is considered a traditional broadcaster, and so is Bell, whereas Netflix is not. And their argument that, that they shouldn't be beholden to the same laws... Jane, you okay? Yeah. <laughs> Jane's down. His laptop Man down. just tipped over. Ooh. All right, just keep talking. I'll just um, tidy up. I thought that you actually fell over. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Man uh, down. It's like... Woman down. circus in here. How's your cat? Yeah. She's gone. She got pissed off as soon as I used her tail as a mustache. <laughs> Good. Okay. Anyway. But so we had a great joke about, like, if, if Rogers actually wanted to uh, offer real digital value-added services, they would do, like, some sort of, like, horse armor approach where, like, uh, Rogers customers could get different Don Cherry um, suits. suits or ties or, like, a, <laughs> a, a Strombo cam being shot from, like, his earring or something like that, or, like, streaming music recommendations. Uh, so to basically the make the second screen experience so terrible that nobody on Bell or Telus no, would ever want no, to No, no, make like, them so glorious and then just charge them as, like, fucking in-app purchases. Yeah. Oh, dear God. In-app purchases for Don Cherry suits. It'd be brilliant. Make loads uh, of money. What? I would, like, I don't even give a shit. I don't like hockey. What? I don't care about hockey. I'm not from this country. What if you? Could, I would pay to see Don Terry, Don Cherry suits. What if you could buy like a penalty penalty kill for the for the Leafs, or <laughs> okay. like or like or only Rogers customers could vote on the Molson three stars or something like that. Those are actual digital things, but just the presentation of content that all comes digitally anyways now because broadcast is digital. By the way, like it's all it's nothing's analog. It, like the the technology doesn't matter. Um, it's the intent and the experience which matters. Like, you're right. The CRTC needs to throw... Like, Rogers is right in saying that they're doing nothing wrong. Bell is right in, in that they're uh, being dicks about it because it's a, it's, a long, it's a long history of being dicks to one another because they're major, they're major companies that yeah. have to be broadcasters. And the problem and is that Rogers and, is very carefully not doing anything yeah. wrong. And the thing. CRTC is right that they need to do something about this because the laws don't work anymore. <laughs> okay, so, you're, you're absolutely right. But, but on, on one hand... Uh, Rogers just released their earnings today and churn is up. They need a reason to keep people on Rogers. If you can go to Bell and get the same experience for $200 a year with uh, Game Plus and, and, and Game Center Live, Strombo then 
there you go. They need they need a Strombo cam. They need a reason yeah. for people to stay on Rogers, and uh, they need to get they need to be able to give it away for free because Bell, Rogers, and Telus are ostensibly identical in every no. other way. Their no. networks if, are the if, same. Their Rogers three Their lineups are the same. If Rogers Go. 3.0 boils down to here's a couple camera views for Rogers customers, there there's that's why churn's always going to increase because it's about it's about like the experience isn't that it's about offering them a compelling reason to trust and like your company and that doesn't come from these minuscule things. It's it's customer service, it's it's better pricing, it's better arrangement like if if this is gonna how they're gonna try and compete, then there's no competition because it's it's a total BS thing. It's horse no, armor. That it's, was that was one tenet of of their multifaceted Rogers 3.0 restructuring, which includes customer service. I don't know if it's working. I don't care. I have no vested interest in any of these companies being successful because if one topples, the other's gonna take over. The problem is that you know we have a we have a situation here with Rogers being completely vertically integrated, um, offering exclusive content, and another vertically integrated company that is excluding content from other services, complaining. And that's what I find so objectionable, is that we have, you know, Bell owns all of HBO's content. They could have come on board with Rogers and Shaw with Show Me, but they decided not to because they have all this content that they want to hold exclusively in their own pockets. And then Netflix is going to be prohibited from buying all the license, you know, content for all the back seasons of all this great, you know, premium content in Canada because Roger Shaw and Bell have the licensing there. So, I mean, every, nobody's nobody has it good because the CRTC is regulating some things and not regulating other things. Yes, and and these companies don't know how to work together, which is why Tim Liwicky's leaving Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment because he's tired of having. Uh, two competitors sitting on the board trying to tell them what to do. Like, I, you know, okay, so in, in the news today, because you did, uh, Daniel, a really great write-up on the financials and Jane did a really great write-up on the CRTC thing, our commenters are saying that this is just, uh, or have a supposition that this is a pissing co- contest designed to distract from the actual lack of competition. That if these companies are having a very verbal, very physical, uh, visible um, war of words it seems like they're really competing against each other when in reality the real competition that consumers care about which is like price points and plans and yeah. coverage and things like that aren't changing does that does that hold any water for you or do do you think that like uh guy lawrence actually like you know like bell and rogers are actually like keyed up for this or is it just a just all hot air i i don't know i mean like they're they only added seventeen thousand customers out of a total of three hundred and thirty six new subscribers. And that's because so many people left. Yeah. But where are they going? They're going to they're going to Bell or or Telus and they're signing contracts for the same shit and they're gonna be unhappy with the customer service. This is Comcast and Time Mobility. Warner just <laughs> on a lesser scale. Yeah. Um and you know, we're I, I, I really you know, a lot of people are like on one hand, uh they compare us to the U.S. favorably, and on the other hand, they compare us to the U.S. negatively. But we are very similar uh, to the way that the U.S. companies are set up. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, on, on one hand, you know, Rogers is still making money, but they're making less money. Uh, you know, so the investors are going to be upset by that, which is going to force Rogers to either cut more costs or increase more prices, period. 
I mean, that's that that they're beholden to their shareholders, not not to us, really. Yeah, but the way in which you respond to shareholders' requests defines you as a company, like, like. Right, but the, but Rogers isn't Amazon. Rogers is not like the investors in Rogers are not okay. Investors in Rogers are not okay with the company only making three hundred million in profit a quarter, right? They want to see profit increase every quarter, and what's been happening is that the profits have continued to slide because. A Rogers 3.0 is happening, and they're going through all this restructuring and all these investments. Okay. Well, but yeah, but so, but maybe if Rogers oper- operated in a way where I didn't have to have a staring contest with the company, where I can't upgrade my phone, I can't give Rogers any more money because if I do, they're going to take more money from me at a monthly level. That's ridiculous. Like I, I can't upgrade my phone right now. I can't. I can't do it. I can't get a new phone through Rogers. I can't commit with them for another two-year plan because. It just costs too much money. It makes absolutely no sense because they want to take more money from me for the services that they've been providing me the past two years, the exact same services. So maybe if they change that, people wouldn't be fleeing um, at a 300,000 clip a quarter. Yeah, I don't don't know. I I don't think it's – I mean, but this is not a problem unique to Rogers. Uh, Bell is having the same problem. And uh, tell us – to some extent is reaping the benefits because they're perceived as being more customer friendly. And and, and I, I think the reason that they're perceived as such is not only because their customer service is obje- ob- objectively better, which it is, I believe, but that uh, they don't have any of these media holdings to, to kind of uh, keep them weighted down, yeah. right? Yeah. It's almost so, as if it's like a conflict of interest to be... Uh, a telecoms operator and then a massive cable operator owning like all content and distribution of digital services almost. in the country. It's almost like I, that should be something that should be broken up. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't see where and you're coming from at all. It, it I think that's completely incorrect. You know, the, the, the word bell, bell rings, it's, it's familiar in some way. Like wasn't there, wasn't there another country somewhere close to ours where the government decided that... Uh, there was a, a monopoly or a conflict of interest and that they were required to, to, to break up or something? Like, didn't that happen? Isn't that a thing that can happen? The governments can uh, step in and, and mandate change? Competition? Yeah, I think it was Greenland. That <laughs> <laughs> other one. Oh, yeah. Shout out Greenland. Um, so I think we're, we're sort of um, we're running out of time. So we're out of steam. Hmm? Let's, um, let's, let's, put, uh, let's put some put a lid on this until next week where I'm sure there will be other other things to talk about uh, other developments let's uh, let's quickly talk about Lollipop um, and I know this is a huge shift and we wanted to talk about a bunch more stuff but we only have a few more minutes so Lollipop I installed it on the Nexus 5 it runs amazing people are going to love it I think the Nexus 6 uh, may be too big for people but Lollipop as a as an OS is wonderful. I'm super, super happy with it, even in its incomplete form. And I think Google's doing a great job uh, making subtle yet important changes to its native apps. Material design is really nice. What do you guys think? Is this uh, is, is Lollipop going to be the thing that brings you over to, or at least um, convinces you that Android is is uh, here, you know, sort of in its mature stage? Jane, what do you think? Well, I, you know... I think, I don't know. I don't know if, if I'm the right person to or if Doug is because we're kind of two opposites where I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would ever go iOS. I mean, I, I've been tempted, um, especially lately just with iOS 8. But um, 
yeah, I think that I think that it's 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 a different experience. Android it's kind of that kind of that, that constantly evolving, whereas iOS you get like version you know, version seven, version eight. And I feel like we are getting to a point where you can say to someone, Hey, I know that, you know, you don't want to get that giant iPhone, but why don't you try this this Android device? Because the the UI is I think consumer friendly at this point because for so long it was it was a very nerdy OS mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in the beginning and I think we're now in the last maybe year or two we've gone to a point where the the UI and and the way that the the operating system works is consumer friendly enough for you to suggest it to 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 anyone you know yeah right no what I do you think Doug I agree with that um, the counterpoint to that is. Uh, I have three Android phones in my house right now, and I can't upgrade any of them to Lollipop. So that's all I have to say about Android. He's not even fucking out yet. Give him a break. But like, yeah, but he won't be able to for a few months. I know, I know. I can't do anything yeah, with this, you're, you're, your and thing I can't do anything like with my alpha. Right? Yeah. So you know. Yeah. That's 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 it for me. Oh, hey, that's a really great. Good job. Good, good job, Google. Great job with Android. Oh, come on. Too bad I can't. Oh, too bad I can't use it. We're we're, we're we're over we're over the the, the days of, of slagging on Google because they don't update their devices at the same time. That is the Nexus Six. That's why I wrote that article about um, the, the silver lining. Google is trying to create an iPhone of its own with the mm-hmm. Nexus line, mm-hmm. and they don't care that other devices are coming that aren't updated directly from Google because people who want that experience will get it directly from Google. Period. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Agreed. if that's important to you, go with it. And it's weird because it used to be that all the shiny bows and ribbons were, you know, like the Nexus was kind of like the bare bones Android experience and all the shiny bows and ribbons came with like the Galaxy Note and like all those different, you know, kind of skins that people put on their, on, on, on Android. And now it's, yeah, it's getting to the point where the nicest and like the purest form of Android is actually like becoming the most consumer friendly and the most the, the cleanest isn't this what so, i was saying like three weeks ago and you guys were like saying no the nexus devices are just for developers no what that google makes the nexus devices as a flagship android thing to force oems to couch out like the fact that these are the sexy android devices now like this i'm pretty sure i was saying this three or four weeks ago pretty sure you weren't <laughs> okay <laughs> End of story. Um, <laughs> no, shout outs no. to everyone who guessed the name right in that post that we did on guessing Android L. Oh, lollipop. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, Man. good job. It, it wasn't uh, wasn't lab lab. What is it? Labu. Ladu. Ladu. Shout out Ladu. Delicious. But shout out no, India because uh, we have a bunch of uh, readers from India, and uh, if you're listening, we love you guys. Please so, post us some Ladu. Shout out Kyle Tuck. Uh, apparently we're ruining his life with this podcast. Why? <laughs> or his Why did he say that? I don't think I should have started listening to your podcast. It makes me realize that you are far from typical mobile users. So I'm not sure why your opinions on mobile devices should matter. Mobile Syrup's just the gateway well, drug, the- man. Syrupcast is the real deal. Hook <laughs> <laughs> uh, it to your veins, Kyle. Yeah. We'll uh, share our needles with you. I can't tell if that's just, a compliment or an it. insult. I know. Doesn't matter. He's already hooked. <laughs> Um, and, and I just, like, I, I want to address something really quickly. And the Note 4 review was the, was the final straw in what has been a very tumultuous uh, ex- review season. And uh, a lot of it has to do with the, the absolute numbers that are attached to these reviews. And I think that they, get, they overshadow the content of the reviews themselves. And I think that we have to do away with those numbers because 
you know, when I gave the iPhone 6 and 9.1 and I gave the, the Galaxy Note 4 and 9, people were using that as, as absolute terms that I that I think the iPhone 6 is a better phone than, than, no, the, it's, than that's the Galaxy the thing, Note like, 4. You gotta hang think on, about hang it on, on a let, scale. Let, 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 me, let me finish. And I, I think that, that number, those numbers are doing a disservice because even though we divide them into eight categories, there are so many other facets involved. And I don't, and unlike whatever, you know, whoever disagrees with me, that's fine, that's your prerogative. But I do not like iOS more than Android, and I do not like Apple more than Google, and I do not like the iPhone more than the Nexus or the Samsung or whatever. Yeah, I grade, yeah that's, that's you, you're biased. I grade things on a, I think, personally, and, and you have to take into account that bias is a part of the review process, because when I started using an iPhone or an Android, you start from zero. You have to build a relationship with these platforms. The only thing that I think Apple does better is that it makes developer tools better than, than they are on Android, and as a result, iOS developers create better apps. And I think that is a broad stroke, and I don't think that's true of everybody, but I still think that the iOS ecosystem is better than the Android ecosystem in many ways. That being said, I do not think that the iPhone 6 is a better phone than the Galaxy Note 4. I think that it is better in some ways, and I think the, that the Galaxy Note 4 is better in other ways. I also think that if you want a bigger phone, blah, 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 you know, you can, you can, get, you can make your own conclusions. But I just, I find it very frustrating that people go down to the bottom, they look at the, that they, they look at the, uh, the numbers, and they completely o let that overshadow everything else. And I want you to just take a step back and try to think about why we review things. I am I'm one person. I am Daniel Bader. I don't necessarily represent the views of Mobile Syrup, and I think that's where people are getting conflated, is that you know people associate Mobile Syrup with being an Android-focused website because we write a lot on Android, and, and a lot of our most vocal commenters are, are Android and BlackBerry advocates, and we don't have as many vocal iOS users commenting. But I often, I often want... You know, I often want to reach out to commenters, but I can't because it just that will start a, a flame war. But I often want to say, you know, try to look at it from my perspective. I am not invested in one ecosystem or another. I'm one person that is writing the majority of reviews for Mobile Syrup. But now that you two are here, which I'm very thankful for, you will be seeing a more broad uh, sort of look at the various platforms because I'm not going to be the only one reviewing things anymore. And I think that's going to help. I, I, I wanted to go back to what you said about the, the scores, and I feel like that's the area where people where people need to take a step back, because you can't rate the Ascendmate 2, which is like a $300, like, six-inch phone. You can't compare that to a Moto G that is smaller, and, like, it's like you these phones, like, the scale for, for, for smartphones is so huge, and, like, that's not even touching on the fact that iOS and Android are two completely different ecosystems. And I feel like I look at those kinds of scores and those kinds of numbers as, hey, if you want to go out and spend $300 on a phablet, how do you rate that experience that you get with this phone? And I would say, oh, like I would give it like a 7.5 or I would give it 7.8. If you want to go out and buy um, like the latest Apple phone, how would you rate the experience that you get once you buy the latest Apple phone? And I would say, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's a 9.1. And I think that people are looking at those scores as if the context provided is this phone is compared to this phone and therefore yeah. this score means it's better than that phone yeah. whereas that's not what it is at all it's this score is only relating to that phone yeah daniel and i think and it's you, like you do a good a really good job of that you do a great job of it because you've been doing it for so long with all these devices and i think the perfect example is that i've done one review for the site now 
Um, so I, I, I've, and in that first review, I've, I've struggled with it because I reviewed the, uh, the Galaxy Alpha, which mm-hmm. has a very interesting battery, a very small battery um, that happens to work very well for that device, but compared to other devices, isn't like a huge thing in battery life. So when I rated sure. that battery, I rated the performance of that battery in relation to uh, the device it was made for and the intent of that device, which was to be a slim, sexy, thin device that could still perform. And it, it did its job in that context. My yeah. rating of that battery wasn't, how does this battery do against all batteries available um, in 2014 or For against sure. all batteries of all time? It's, how does it fit into what the company has stated and then what through my understanding of the smartphone space, being a professional tech journalist, understand it to be and, and rating in that regards. And it was a very difficult decision and it, it's something that, like it was the longest part of the review was figuring out the battery in relation to the other things because the screen, the build, those were all easy. And I've only had to do that once. So Daniel, I think you do an admirable job. Um, but maybe, yeah. you know, we, like I also uh, made it sure that everything was a 0.5 so that people would mentally round up or down depending on what right. their bias was. So, so, so I, yeah, uh, <laughs> hang on. I think so it's, I, it's similar to, to saying like, oh, like who's smarter, a doctor or a lawyer? And it's like, well, in what context? And I think mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's like you can't compare a phone. Like you can't put them on the same the same plane. Like phones these days, like smartphones especially, are way too varied. You've got budget phones. You've got entry-level phones. You've yeah. got someone who's going to want to buy a $200 smartphone and they're going to look at like the Lumia 830. Oh, like the affordable flagship. Is that for me? And then someone who wants to buy an iPhone is going to be like, that thing's a piece of shit. I'm not going to buy it. Yeah. So or you're tied into a carrier. And you're like, yeah. hey, Bell's offering me a new device at the same price as mm-hmm. last year's devices. Is it better for me to go with the new thing at a slightly higher same price or go with the old reliable? You know, the, right. you know these yeah. things are not... The, the, constant, the context is eminent. It, like, yeah. it doesn't... And it's not a linear scale when it comes to all smartphones ever. It's like you have to really judge a phone on its own merits and what it claims to do and whether or not it's going to fit your needs. Okay, and that's what we so, try to do, I think, when we when we review a device. Yes, absolutely. We look at who's going to buy this specific device, and the person who needs this device, is it going to be good enough for them? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that all being said, we're going to be reviewing our review process, which across the internet is, is inherently flawed, and uh, everybody brings their own little bit of uh, bias to everything. That is just a fact of being a review and not something like an objective news story. So you have my word that over the next few months, we will be reviewing our own internal processes and finding better ways to bring you uh, better reviews. Yeah. So, and, maybe, and maybe codifying that so people can kind of uh, see how for each review, the perspective or the approach that we're going to do to reviews. So they're not just, you know, um, finding us on the Internet with their own expectation of what a review should be and then reacting to that rather than the content itself. Yeah. Okay, so I think we're going to have to end there. And uh, I hope that that was a, a stimulating for you guys as it was for me because that, uh, that was a great pod and I'm, I was really yeah. happy with everything. And uh, thank you very much for, for joining us, everybody. And Jane and Douglas, thank you. Thank you for hosting. You did a fabulous job as always. And uh, we will see you next week. Week 19, where things take a dramatic turn. Ooh. Okay, same bad time, same bad channel.